this week on Podular Modcast. Our options and our choices are being totally limited down to this incredibly narrow band of possibilities mm-hmm. by some tech bro in Silicon Valley. <laughs> and who knows what their right. morals are and who knows what their priorities are. They just want to have a job. They want to get a raise. Like that's their priority. Modcast. My name is Tim Held. This week we have Greg Saunier from Deerhoof. Deerhoof is one of my favorite bands. Uh, Greg is the founding member and drummer. They've been around for a long time. Um, they're totally singular, in my opinion. And they're actually going to be on tour soon in the Midwest uh, of the United States. So if you're out there, do not miss uh, Deerhoof Live. One of the best live shows I've ever seen. Um, yeah. I'm not going to spend this whole intro gushing about how much I love Deerhoof. Just uh, take my word for it. We have a great conversation. We're going to get into that chat here shortly. But first, I want to show you some cool stuff. I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have eight Podular Modcast shirts left. Uh, past show guest Ava Laverne from Grilka Press did that logo for me. It looks familiar, but I don't know where it's from. But anyways, I've got, let's see, I've got one tie-dyed small, one white small, I've got two tie-dyed XLs, and then I have two tie-dyed double XLs and two white double XLs. Um, if you would like one of these, 10 bucks plus shipping. Send me a message, hit me up in the DMs. And then I've also got um, some posters with download codes on the back. This art was done by uh, John Herndon, AKA a Grape Dope, one of the founding members of the band Tortoise. Um, and then he also did this one as well. So if you are a Patreon subscriber, be on the lookout because I think I'm going to do another giveaway. I've got some cassettes from my buddy Ian, old co-host Ian, under his Sky Gas um, moniker. I almost said Nomiker. That's not right. Sky Gas moniker. Um, I think I have five of those cassettes. So yeah, I'm going to be doing another uh, random first come first serve giveaway. But if you are a Patreon subscriber and you're interested in one of these, just pay for shipping and I'll ship you one. Now the reason I am having you guys pay for shipping if you want one um, is because if I sent one to everybody it would cost me like hundreds and hundreds of dollars and I don't have hundreds and hundreds of dollars right now. So yeah, with that said, if you'd like to support Podular Modcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. But if you don't want to sign up for the Patreon because you don't want to do a monthly thing and all that, that's totally fine. There are other ways to support Podular Modcast. Um, I am actually starting to do uh, music videos or I can make videos for uh, visuals for live performance. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can send me a DM or an email at podmodcast at gmail.com. So because the music video thing is relatively new for me, I think I'm going to focus on just kind of making the types of videos that I make for myself, um, for my performances, Sam's the performer, so just, you know, uh, 
video essays, video collages. I would like to do story-based stuff in the future, but I think I should just uh, start small for now. So if you are interested, like I said, hit me up. Um, let's let's collaborate. I think that'd be really fun. And that actually nicely segues into this week's featured artist, Mountain Singers. The song is Awkward Conversations. So why don't we take a listen to that? If you're watching the video, I'm gonna cut something together just to give you a little bit of a taste of my style and whatnot. Um, yeah, so let's let's do that.
Podular Modcast, as always, is brought to you by the lovely folks over at Patchworks. Patchworks is more than just a synthesizer, you know, music gear shop. They're building a community by connecting you to the joy of music with workshops, classes, live music events, and friendly, knowledgeable staff. They are there to help you with wherever it is you are at in your music-making journey. Located in the Wallingford neighborhood in Seattle, stop by Patchwork Showroom to play with your favorite music gear and join their community. And if you don't live in the Pacific Northwest region of the world, then head over to patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com, where they have not just the latest and greatest in modular, but all sorts of synthesizer gear, as well as home studio equipment. Once again, that is patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. In other news, I am working on uh, an intro to your rack workshop, like a two hour workshop, um, kind of built around VCV rack. Uh, that way we can all have the same gear and uh, you know, follow along, do the same stuff. And hopefully I'll be doing that at Patchworks uh, next month and recurring after that. But uh, if you are interested in something like that and you're not in the Pacific Northwest, hit me up and maybe we could do a lesson where I run the workshop one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and uh, yeah, you can get you can get some some Tim tutelage. So if that sounds interesting, hit me up on Instagram or at podmodcast at gmail.com. All right, Greg Saunier, correct? <laughs> yeah, who'd you think you were interviewing? <laughs> I don't know, but you know, with all the technical difficulties this morning. Um, <laughs> No, th thank you for joining me. This is, uh, you know, a little bit of a sidestep as far as, you know, usually I talk to, you know, modular or super synth specific people. But I've been, Oh, really? I well, didn't even did know that. I should yeah. have prepared. Well, okay, I, synthesizer, uh, <laughs> sine wave, square wave, sawtooth wave. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. You can hang. Yeah. Noise, right? Yeah. Resonance, yeah. filters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about those VCOs? Oh man, so <laughs> many VCOs. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been uh, you know doing it for like five years, and I'm I'm more interested in just like the artistic aspect of things. So I've been branching out a lot, and okay, fun. Some, some of the fellows from Tortoise on, and you know, so it hasn't all been just you know weird modular stuff. But do you realize um, that John McIntyre and I were in the same electronic music class in college? No shit. And had the That's... same teacher and everything. Really? Yeah, That's yeah. We were both amazing. trained on the same Korgs or whatever. Really? I mm -hmm. had so um he's he does a um has a duo with Sam Precop, also you know, from C and Cake, who he is also in. Um and it's like a modular synth duo and uh Oh fun. I saw they came through town not too long ago, and they actually, in between their Seattle and Portland shows, stopped by, and, and we did an episode in, in here. It was pretty cool. Um, uh, cool. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen John in so long, but I, I really like his music and Sam's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great guys. Super nice. Um, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm just like, you know, like I said, I've been doing a weekly show for over five years. And I just kind of want to talk to the people that I want to talk to sometimes, you know, like outside of the 
just the synth world. I can only talk about synths so much, you know, before. I'm kind of like, oh. <laughs> okay, that's it. Everything that I've said so far about synthesizers, that's it. We're done. There will be no further mention of envelopes, of uh, mon- monophony. <laughs> I like Tuning. that monopony. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it sounds like a, a game that takes too long at people. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, All right. So, what non-synthesis questions you got for me? Well, I actually just I I always start with the same question. Um, I okay. like to ask. I feel like there sometimes there's no distinction between these two, but. Mm. Was there an artist, song, or moment where music first like entered into your soul? And you know, the first thing you can remember being very touched or moved. And then what was that transition from listener and lover of music to wanting to be an active participant? Oh yeah, but I mean I think that that's a pair of totally good and valid questions, but I think that, and I don't think it's just me, I think first musical experiences, formative ones, happen prior to even the ability to form memories. Um, I Totally, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean... <clears throat> I mean, I, I, you know, some, there was some uh, little video on, um, <laughs> that came through some social media feed that I saw just last night of, you know, uh, um, what do you call it when, when you can, um, you can see into the womb and you mm. see a fetus developing and like an it was a, it's a, yeah that kind of thing and and uh the mother was laughing at the mo- at that moment and you could see how the fetus shook um in what rhythm did the fetus shake and uh, you know it's about bah, 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 but you know it's just a laugh you know and uh and you know that i mean instantly my mind went to to the association of bouncing in rhythm um, to a release of endorphins, which is what a fetus would experience in that moment because that's what the mother's experiencing. So Uh that association is is like (laughs) built in. It has nothing to do with what radio station you listen to when you're five or what section of the record story you were into when you were 13. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, it's like, (laughs) I'm living here in Tucson. It's been spring. The number of birds that have been using (laughs) my backyard as a uh, hangout zone. Again, it's just kind of like, you don't, I don't just have to go to my own pre-birth. I can go back hundreds of thousands of years of evolution and and look at the fact that something something that could very easily be called music has existed prior to 
my species even mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. starting when when you listen to bird song you realize um like we've got a <laughs> we've got a mockingbird in the in the front yard recently and uh you know it's imitating other birds it's it's imitating car alarms it's going just tirelessly all night mm-hmm. oh, the rest of the birds you know the doves and everything start to quiet down at a certain point <laughs> this mockingbird is just going and going now scientists aren't totally sure i'm going to sound like an expert because i listened to the mockingbird under the tree for about five ten minutes and then came in and did some google searches but but uh you know aren't totally sure it's like is this is this mating is this territorial is this purely for pleasure is it that the that the mockingbird hears another mockingbird a block or two away um also singing and wants to be the one that sings more tirelessly so takes even fewer breaks and sings even louder um so that the cat will go get the other one because this one's going to look so big it's scary you know um but then it's like even if you believe that interpretation which sounds totally plausible to me <laughs> it doesn't what why do we assume that a bird is less capable than a human of doing something for more than one reason right. so for example i might also have defensive reflexes um <laughs> like if i get in an argument with somebody i might do things to make my case seem stronger or i might raise my voice to sound more threatening or or whatever it is to seem you know some kind of like survival um built-in instinct and uh, but that doesn't mean that i can't also take pleasure in doing those exact same things oh, that yeah. i can't that i can't become a particularly good debater and enjoy um the <laughs> you know the development of turns of fr- effective turns of phrase or like particularly funny zingers or or you know something mm-hmm. like that in mm-hmm. other words mm-hmm. it's like if there weren't pleasure associated with with other um or potentially associatable with with um various survival instincts they don't all have to be mean ones either they could be right, yeah. compassionate <laughs> uh you know uh, survival instincts um um if there weren't pleasure associated with that then why would we even have things like <laughs> art forms you know um why would we have hollywood movies why would we have songs totally. and so yeah. yeah i think i think so my my point there is that that while the some very unsentimental people among us might want to say that that mockingbird is purely just um <laughs> screaming for his life <laughs> you know and not and and just purely for some um you know some um totally unromantic uh, survival strategy um and it just shows their desperation and panic i want to 
keep my mind open to the possibility that not just that mockingbird, but but all kinds of birds and all kinds of animals make all kinds of sounds that to my ears, it's not difficult to interpret in a musical way. I love this answer for <laughs> a couple different reasons that splinter here. So I, yeah. I, uh, I, before, you know, when I went to college, I studied human evolution. So I love that you oh, took this like, kind of evolutionary. Yeah. Like, and then specifically focused on like, um, North American primate evolution from yeah. 50 million years ago. So, <laughs> you know, that's why I ended up becoming an electrician and then a podcaster. Because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, so, yeah, so I really like that. Yeah. I mean, it, I love it. And I love that I like have this base knowledge to, you know, to, you know, it just, it literally has helped me understand the world better. <laughs> um, and then, you know, bringing that into um, the realm of thinking about art. Um, yeah. You know, I love that aspect too. And, Another thing that you made me think of is lately I've been, um, well, for the past couple of years, I take my field recorder out with me when I go out in the woods, camping or anywhere I go. And my parents actually live in a town called Ellensburg, Washington. It's pretty close to the where the gorge is. Um, yeah. So it's out in the country and uh, they have a big. Like, we got a, a really indie... great. Uh, we got a really great um, pair of uh, parking tickets over near that gorge. I mean, oh, uh, speeding tickets. Um, oh yeah. We had just played. Uh, what's the what? Um, Sasquatch. Sasquatch. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, and we were we had to make it to the airport to, oh, to catch a flight to <laughs> Europe. And oh, John God. Dietrich, our guitar player, was mm -hmm. driving, and not once but twice driving from Sasquatch to the airport, he was pulled over. <laughs> <laughs> it probably was just around Ellensburg because that's where they set a lot of yeah, those speed traps with that. <laughs> that yeah, the state patrol. Anyway, you were in the there, middle of it. So. No, yeah. no. Um, what you got? So, yeah, so I, I, uh, my mom. I've been going out and helping out with my mom. Long story, but she's she's doing well now. But uh, so mm -hmm. I bring my my field recorder and all my different mics, and I set it up in the yard, and I just let it record overnight. Um, Hot stuff. That's amazing. Because I just love to listen to it. Because I've oh, got yeah. to this point where kind of what you were talking about this, you know, all these birds going off and stuff like there, there are times that I crave listening to that in the same way that I crave listening to a certain type of music. Um, and I, yeah, I find not? it's more and more often. And so when you're talking about these birds singing and everything, and like, you know, I, I go back to like an evolutionary, like, um, you know, pontification thinking yes. like, okay, that could be some root of why, you know, a root of this love of this changing of melody will eventually right. name it. Right. Um, because as, if you're around a bunch of birds who are all singing to each other, maybe they're all right. telling each other what's going on. So you can get some clues to what maybe be going around, going on around you predator wise. So, oh yeah, you know, the people who enjoyed hanging out with the birds stayed alive and got to, you know, just like that kind of, I like thinking about it Definitely. in that kind of way. So. I mean, I was just talking to my mom yesterday about this very thing. She's got, she's, she lives in Tucson. She's, uh, they got, uh, you know, bird feeder in the back and, and, uh, <laughs> um, it's like the, 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 her backyard is always full of birds just constantly because she's got this feeder. 
But then once in a while, it will suddenly be absent of any birds. She's like, what in the world happened? And then always five minutes later, a hawk. Coyote. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you realize, how did they know? And it's like, well, they were talking to each other. You just heard it as background noise. But if you're tuned in and you're listening to the to the finer points of what they're singing to each other, you would also have known. There's right. a, you know, yeah. the talk on the way, get out of here, or you're gonna get eaten. <laughs> um, and uh, and I do think that it's melody. Obviously, that's what it is. I, I promise not to mention monophony, but that's what we're talking about here, a single line of melody. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's fascinating as people get, become interested in listening to birdsong, you know, they start to realize that it's more than just there is some birdsong or, hey, that sounds nice or, um, <laughs> or, oh, I can identify which bird it is with this app on my phone. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But, but that you can actually start to <laughs> map out what it is these birds are singing as one would, might, you know, as one might uh, analyze a musical melody made by a human being. Okay, it, it stays in this range for this period of time and then suddenly shoots up at the end or mm -hmm. or like this thing repeats four times and then stops and then goes to this other thing and repeats five times you know yeah like totally. songwriting i mean it's it's like you can a lot of the ways that you can describe if you if you decide you want to listen that closely to a bird song a lot of the mental engagement that you might um you know pursue as you're listening to it is incredibly similar to the to the kind of mental engagement you might have if you were trying to pick apart, you know, what makes this Paul McCartney melody, you know, yeah, yeah, distinctive, totally. um, or or this Beethoven, you know, um, <laughs> melody. Like, what is it? That, what's the profile? What's the thing that sticks out about it? What makes it recognizable? What makes it memorable, etc. <laughs> now, I think that it's hard. <laughs> that's kind of like an intellectual like analytical approach to either one but then what is it about this paul mccartney song or this beethoven piece that that might bring a tear to the eye that's where it gets harder to say like okay am i emotionally moved by this bird song you know maybe maybe like if i hadn't heard that bird in a really long time and it brought back some memory for me. I'm not sure, but yeah, that's where it gets a little bit more far out. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this kind of touches on something that I haven't really <clears throat> talked. I don't remember talking to, to anybody about it in depth, but like this, this question that I have, like, um, why is it on Monday, you know, of 20, you know, Monday of last yeah. you know, three months ago, um, <laughs> Like all, like I just wanted to listen to "Crying" by Roy Orbison, all just on repeat all day. And like every time right. I heard him go into that big thing, that like I exactly. get that swell. But then, like three days later, I want to listen to "Lightning Bolt," and I get that same right. charge. And if I listen to "Crying," it doesn't do that to me again. <laughs> but it will later when I crave that. Like, what is? What, I mean, it's it's obviously like you know 
chemical and 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 mood and everything but like how is it that some things move you so so profoundly but it's not you can't just keep going back to that well it has to kind of be you know what i mean like that's right absolutely i know what you mean i mean context is everything and and things that are going on with your life are are uh, um obviously you know that's like most basic thing right Um, right and it's like either you were already feeling like crying or you were already feeling like you know banging your head and Mm -hmm. like um and uh and that's having a good adrenaline point. Yeah. or yeah. or yeah. it's that you needed to cry slash needed a rush of adrenaline right you were lacking those things mm-hmm. and something inside you was demanding it um okay so, well, i'm gonna take I that one the further time. then yeah okay let's have it so like okay so i because i really like that so okay maybe i feel like let's just say crying because i use the song crying maybe i feel like crying yeah. or or I need to cry. Either way, I like both of those. Yeah. Why is it that crying does it for me on Monday, but then listening to you know like Whitney yeah. Houston on Thursday is right. is what's scratching the itch? And they won't. They're I not. You know. I mean, think of it like think of it like um, diet. I mean, I feel like okay, I really need some vitamin C today. I need an orange. You know. <laughs> And then tomorrow, it's like, man, that orange yesterday sure was good. Let me have another orange. By the fourth day, I'm like, okay, I'm getting tired of oranges. Let me see if I, oh, there's a grapefruit. I I do think that music is undervalued as a human need in general, particularly by, by um, capitalists who don't want to pay musicians. I think that, you know, uh, a lot of work goes into (laughs) um, creating the illusion um, that music and other art forms as well um, are kind of like icing, kind of like, Stuff you do for fun on the side. They aren't, they aren't mm-hmm. things that anybody really needs. Um, Literally take it for granted, too. Like, uh, that, yeah, exactly. That, well, that, that phrase that's is another thing overused, that capitalists do. Exactly. Totally. Mm-hmm. Because if, if all music is available all the time at the touch of a button, guess what? Your one particular song that you recorded over there in Tacoma is mm-hmm. worth, you know, it's worth nothing. Um, mm-hmm. Or it's worth point zero 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 one cent or whatever Spotify right. will pay you if you're yeah, some right. extreme. Um, and uh, but I mean, beyond me just like complaining about underpayment that I think is is widespread in the music industry um, as it's been taken over by <laughs> another industry, which is the surveillance industry, the tech industry, mm-hmm. which is only using music as a bait. To, Absolutely. For them to get, yep. to, you know, to, to mm-hmm. track your, track your whatever, you know, your stuff so that the ads can be more effective. Um, <laughs> besides just dealing with those numbers or whatever, I'm saying that it's just a general, a general um, misunderstanding that music is nothing, first of all, nothing but pleasure. 
and nothing but a, a kind of a hobby or a kind of, or if you're even just a listener, it's just a sort of extra <laughs> without realizing that um, music means things um, to every generation of humans all across the globe for as mm -hmm. long as recorded history exists. And like we were saying before, probably well before um, even humans came to inhabit this planet. Mm -hmm. It's like, it is, it's something that can be tied to food. Um, so my, my example there was, was meant to be substantive. I, I think that, that, uh, it's like food and you need it and you need different kinds of it and you need variations of it. Um, and sometimes, uh, and it changes as you change. And I, I, so totally. that's why, you know, that's a lot of why to me, I mean, just to go on a tangent about that, a lot of, you know, the sort of masterwork syndrome, well, Beethoven's ninth is, is the, is the greatest masterpiece of Western culture, you know, or how about just let's, let's just, let's just investigate that idea of, of anything that, that Western culture contains masterpieces at all, you know, if you're like Ron DeSantis or something and you, you, you want to be constantly um, putting white people and, and Europeans slash Americans at the top of the human heap. Um, and, you know, obviously, if you're, if you're into primate evolution, you, you go back to social Darwinism, you go back to Hitler and, and you, and you see this, this idea that, that, um, you know, really started to become industrialized and standardized at the beginning of the colonial period 500 years ago oh, yeah. and reached yeah. its climax at the end of the 19th century with phrenology and everything. This mm -hmm. idea that, uh, that white people are the master race, the superior race, and, and as a way to propagandize that you point to Beethoven's ninth and you say, well, look, that's better than the music of, from China. That's better than the music from Uruguay, you know, the, whatever it is. Um, mm. Cause it's more you, sophisticated by my metric of sophistication. Well, exactly. But then you invent a metric by which <laughs> yeah, it is better. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then call that metric universal mm -hmm. and call yeah, that nature, yeah. which it isn't. It's just something you made up. Mm -hmm. But you get enough people to believe it, and uh, and so that's that's another reason why crying works one day, and then Whitney Houston works another day, and Lightning Bolt works another day, is because <laughs> there is no standard, and there is no one thing that is the answer for everybody every day all the time. It doesn't work like that. The world is changing. Your life is changing every day. Evolution is only half of what makes you what you are. The other half is, is your real life experience. It's, you know, nature and nurture. It's like you, what, what, <laughs> the things that you go through, the context you're living through creates needs. Um, it creates harms and it creates new needs and it creates new um, joys. And you learn to appreciate things that you didn't appreciate yesterday. I mean, it's like, um, <laughs> the first time I heard, um, 
Roy Orbison, I didn't like it. I It was an acquired taste for me. The first time I heard Beethoven, I didn't like it. That was an acquired taste for me. <laughs> um, right. It was an yeah. incredible joy in acquiring a taste for something. And I mean, just <laughs> as a member of a band that has been <laughs> widely hated by many people, but then <laughs> it's like I often enjoy the bad reviews and snarky comments that we get about our music because I've watched that same person learn to like it later right, and, yeah. and realize that the, the, but the, the, the more intense the hatred of the music that's often the more intense the fascination with it that makes you yep. want to keep going back to it. And after yes. a while, it's like, wait a second. Okay, I still hate it, but this one part is kind of interesting. Right. Before totally. you know it, it's your favorite. You and know. that's well, and then that kind of brings up something else that I love um, about just like one of my favorite experiences uh, of being a, uh, an appreciator of art, because it happens with comedy as well for me. But my a lot of my absolute favorite things even though i don't really like to use that word because like it's always changing so crying's my exactly. favorite song today but tomorrow it's gonna be <laughs> you know um right. so <clears throat> but it's always the stuff that i found challenging at the beginning and didn't think i would like and then put it in the time and now i've learned right. that that's a thing so if i hear something and i i'm not like jiving with it but i'm like this is something about this perplexes me and I know I don't yeah. get it. So I have to get it before I know if I like it and I have to get it because there might be something in there. That's great. And so. And not I, only I, that. Yeah. It's like what you're really saying, which I think is beautiful. is not that it's great. It's that your synap your synapses just got great. Your neurons just got I like I like it that. was your yeah. neurons that did the work. Uh -huh. And and that's I mean, another thing is exercise. We can talk about diet in relation to music. We talk about exercise in relation to music. And beyond the simple fact that I play drums in a loud rock <laughs> and get a lot of exercise from doing that. It's also you're exercising your neurons by forcing it to um, listen to things that are that it doesn't already know about and that are not comforting. Um, you know, everybody likes being comforted, but there's also a, a contradictory drive in humans to, that sometimes can be inconvenient or painful, but that is to learn new things and to, and to, to, um, <laughs> because that is another survival trait. You know, if you can't Absolutely. put it together, that while you thought what you've gone through your whole life believing that music was icing, the, the human ability to have an open mind to the possibility that, wait, maybe that was just propaganda and it turns out music is necessary for life um, or is as much a human need as clothes, shelter, you know, whatever. Um, uh, you know, the, the one of that those things about Homo sapiens is that they can do that. They can open their mind to a new thought that might challenge their previous assumption. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, willfully to, uh, go against what you think is currently true. Or, exactly, and be you know. willing to do the no pain, no gain. You know, <laughs> be willing to acquire a new skill. Um, 
even if it's a mental skill. I mean, but me with music, it's it's the most obvious thing in the world, learning to play an instrument. I mean, when you first sit down to try and play guitar, it's like, what? You know, drums, totally, piano. Yeah. It's like, I can't figure out, I'm never going to figure this out. And then you just keep at it. And it's like, wait, I actually can play stuff today that I couldn't play a week ago. Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, that's a great feeling. And practice yeah. is a real thing. And mm-hmm. you, and that, I mean, at the end of our record, um, Future Teenage Cave Artists, uh, I, I play a Bach, love that a Bach um, <laughs> like chorale prelude on the piano. And it's like, <laughs> it took me three months of practice to learn to play that. Oh, like, really? <laughs> I, I first sat down, I'm like, I cannot play this piece. I really want to learn it uh, because, um, but it's like at the end of that three months where I could just barely get through it enough to press record and like, and do Uh this thing and be really happy with how it turned out. Like that doesn't just prove that Bach is great or that Bach is a God or some kind Mm. of superhuman figure from Western history that proves that white people are superior or that, that um, the Baroque period is superior to the, to 2023 or, or any of this nonsense. It, it also proves that I'm a genius and I can, figure out how to do something that I didn't know how to do. Totally. Um, yes. And just and through application and work and open-mindedness and perseverance, I can actually grow. It's pretty cool, you know? And I think that growth um, permeates through um, just your person, like how you, I feel like, you know, learning how to play an instrument taught me how to learn how to listen to instruments. Cause now I'm looking for things totally. that I want to. And then I feel like, um, you know, that well, kind of, I just wait, I have to, I have to stop you there because uh-huh. that was the second half of your very first question. And that's why I wanted to critique your question was because mm. at what point after you were a fan of music, did you decide to start playing music? And you just proved that it goes the other way around. You just proved it. You you said that by playing music, uh-huh. you learned to appreciate music, and that's what I. Well, think I learned is more how likely. to listen to it and well, exactly it. right. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I'm saying, yeah, I think yeah. The playing comes first, not the listening. Okay. I think that okay. a that a baby is born and one smack on their behind, and they're already singing. They're a drummer. Know? Yeah. I, <laughs> well, no, no, the, the doctor's a drummer, but <laughs> percussionist. <laughs> A flesh cushionist, but a, <laughs> a, 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 a but no. I mean, a, a, a child sings well before mm. they start developing. Well, I like this band, and I don't like that band. You know, um, I guess yeah. Singing that, is that shows how kind of westernized. I've been I've been listening to right. uh, to this Ethan Klein. I think that no, not Ethan Klein. What's his name? Um, Ezra Klein podcast. And this, he had this author on who talks about, uh, God, it's an acronym, weird. And I forgot, it's Western Educated Industrialized. And it's, he talks about right. this very thing of like just how much just, the, um, you know, Western culture and everything, like just how much, and it's obvious, but he takes it into this really strange area, how much, um, you know, just your, your social setting and, and whatnot um, affects your view of reality. And there oh. is, um, so there is, uh, God, what is it? There was some something he was talking about with, uh, 
you know, different sides of your brain and how facial recognition, recognition yeah. works. And mm-hmm. for years, they just thought that it was one side of your brain that did it because that's what all their tests showed. But then they started right. realizing, wait, people who don't have written language and aren't taught to read at a young age, their brain works differently with facial recognition. So exactly. they're actually like seeing faces differently than we are because because of this thing that was like disabled at a younger age by retraining the brain to do something against what was natural. I mean, you know, imagine the implications of that. It's like, how exactly many, like how many things in our society we hold to be natural, obvious, human nature, mm-hmm. beyond question. Just well, it's built into my to, question. Like, you, yeah, like you, right. you're helping me deconstruct it because I just realized <laughs> right. the active participation yeah. thing in my head has always been at, like the reason I ask because right. it's framed within like, okay, well then what, when do you decide to start picking up the Western no. musical instruments to do the thing? You know what I mean? No, so. Every kid is doing music. I mean, come on, you're born a musician. If you're born a human being, you're born a musician. I mean, um, uh, I mean, let, let's start with the definition of the, you know, the word music is also not a universal um, word that is always separated from speech or always separated from dance or always separated from work or always separated from mental health or physical health, you know. Um, Music is something that we've decided to specialize and section off as this one thing that certain weirdos do, (laughs) you know. But it's actually, you know, that that is an example of what you just described. It's a retraining from an early age of the mind to compartmentalize and, and say that it's a special thing. Um, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. not essential. It's not, it's not basic, um, to life itself. Um, and of course, who's to say as a listener, who's to say what is and isn't music. I mean, we're sitting here talking about <laughs> bird song. It's mm-hmm. like, well, a dictionary definition is not going to count that as music. Um, right. but it's not that far fetched. To listen to it as such or to appreciate it as such. If no, you're talking but... about making field recordings, it's like the the resurgence of, you know, because of the cheapness of, of um, digital recording, portable digital recorders, you know, in the past 10, 15 years, it's like, um, or 20 years, you, people love to make field recordings of things it's so or with just with your phone it's so easy to do mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. that um <laughs> people are consuming the sound of crickets at night or um or you know rustling of wind and, and stuff like that they're consuming it as audio material just like they would quote unquote music um mm-hmm. and who's to say that 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 um, one should be called music and one shouldn't if, right. if a person is is um, using it in a very similar way. It's really in the eye of the beholder, the ear of the beholder. Yeah. Well, I've also something, um, you know, just getting super into field recording and, you know, Pauling Oliveros, deep listening and yeah. um, Todd She was Martin. my teacher. Really? Oh, yeah. oh that's so cool. That yeah, is so Mills cool. College. Wow. John Dietrich. 
Um, oh, both wow. uh, both were in her class. Yeah, that is but so anyways, I, I I keep stopping you. I, I no, no, this saying. is this is great. This is I love this. Um, <laughs> but you know, as I'm getting into this, because I feel like if you get into modular synthesis, you eventually go you you get sucked into the the, the deep end of of you know John Cage, Pauline Oliveros, and all these amazing people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started you know thinking of ways of like, okay, can I almost maybe not conduct my surroundings, but I I came up with this idea that I still would like to do where I'd like, you know, make like an artistic rendering of this map of maybe a, a decently small area and then take a field uh-huh. recorder and walk this loop. And okay, four trips around this loop is a, is a verse. And then we'll, right. we'll go out here for oh the chorus God. and then, and then <laughs> actually like have people be able to listen to this recording and have that map, but then go to that, place and then do their own recording and then maybe like play the song do a cover yeah. of the song. oh yeah exactly <laughs> it's um really great and i think also you know you get to know like i got to know my new neighborhood when i moved down here obviously you look at all, <laughs> all the landmarks visually you know but yeah. my my uh, neighborhood has a very specific you know it has a voice it's long right, voice exactly you know but <laughs> yeah you know, you get to, you get to know that and that informs not just like it it informs your audio spatial map in your head of your area. And I feel like that just is a a, a really fun, cool way to (laughs) get acquainted with it and enjoy it and be part of it and interact with it, you know, and I don't know. This is all getting kind of hooey and, and hippie. Not but. necessarily. I, I think that it, it goes back to your your um, brain hemispheres um, example because it, it makes you contemplate how much we have been trained to block out. Absolutely. So if, yeah. if we've decided that facial recognition is only done with one side of the brain and it's done in an instant um, and it's only objective is simply to identify the person and maybe remember their name or just figure out whether it's someone you've met before, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, figure how basically how that information, a piece of data that can be used, exploited um, for your behavior. You've decided that facial recognition, I mean, that's what AI does, um, facial recognition software. Um, is, is exploited for a specific purpose and says that's quote unquote facial recognition. Mm-hmm. Now, what what's the other 99.999% of actual facial recognition among beings that is now being deleted from the experience of facial recognition if you boil right. it down to just right. an exploitatable, basically profiling to, you know, to, um, to, uh, put somebody in prison or whatever. That that's mm-hmm. what AI facial recognition is basically used for. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's uh, you tough. know, it's funny to think about John McIntyre. I remember, you know, his old band was uh, when when we were in college together. He was already in a band. He was already a professional musician. Like unlike all the rest of us, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he was drummer in a band called Bastro that uh-huh. like toured and everything. And I remember their CD that came out while we were still in college. Um, the last track was all electronic, like the whole the whole record. It was him and David Grubbs and 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 some other guy or something. 
and, you know, rock band, whatever, guitar, Mm -hmm. drums, singing, screaming, um, you know, super aggro uh, Uh kind of punk thing. The last track is suddenly all electronic and it's like noises and, uh, you know, maybe done with a synthesizer. But we were sitting, me and John, listening to it at one point and, and it kind of occurred to us that <laughs> even the electronic noise track was organized um, with verses and choruses. It was uh-huh. like there would be, all right, there was a, and then that would stop, and then it would happen again, and then mm-hmm. you know something like that. And it was exactly what you're describing. It was, uh-huh. Even that could be could be you know structured in in a way that like it was a pop song, and he was realizing yeah. that sort of after yeah. the fact, like it was an accident. Uh-huh. But his uh-huh. brain just went there. Totally. And, uh, yeah. The thing about Pauline that I would say, you know, something that that I learned from Pauline Oliveros that that really stuck with me that I think also relates to your interests as a musician. (laughs) There's the traditional Western hierarchy that the composer is at the top, Mm. then the performer, then the listener, then, then somewhere below that, the instrument maker, the artisan who, you know, made the instruments that you're playing. Oh, wow. And she, you know, and in terms of like who's important, who gets the biographies, who, uh-huh. who's, yeah. whose work is the most deserving of analysis and praise and histories being written. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she critiqued this hierarchy and said that, no, actually any musical event is an equal collaboration between uh those parties and there is no hierarchy and and one isn't more important. They're all necessary. And when I think about modular synthesis, I mean, how much the, the maker of the module is the, the initiator in some sense, they're the first step, you know, and how much, you know, we love to think of the technologies that we're using to make music as being these sort of blank, um, blank technologies on which we could do anything. But modular synthesis, and since that's become a hobby for so many people, you start to realize how much it's like, well, no. <laughs> like, if I make this module, I'm like totally influencing any Absolutely. player. You know, yeah. I'm influencing yeah. what kind of music they're going to be able to make with mm-hmm. it. And it's like, you know, if GarageBand comes built in standard with your laptop that you're your iphone or something like that it's like oh my god i can do anything well it's like actually no you can't do anything and it very strongly influences what kind of music you're likely to make with Mm. all these pull down menus and built-in sounds sure there might be a large library of sounds but it's not an infinite library of sounds right and it's actually pretty difficult to create from scratch new sounds Mm. within something like GarageBand. And you really, you start to think like how much that's also the case for not just music interfaces and music software, but like all the applications that all of us are using so constantly is being like our options and our choices are being totally 
limited down to this incredibly narrow band of possibilities mm-hmm. by some tech bro in Silicon Valley. <laughs> and who knows what their right. morals are and who knows what their priorities are. They just want to have a job. They want to get a raise. Like that's their priority. Their mm-hmm. priority is to impress their boss. You know, right. that's the person who's creating the aura that we're all like living through nonstop. It's pretty, and it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. I think, well, I think that is actually one thing that is uh, so appealing about a modular synthesis to a lot of people is one, yeah. you're getting out of the box and, you know, everything's been so in the box <laughs> yeah. for so many people for exactly. so long. And, <laughs> and yeah, I totally agree. Like, you know, a lot of these modules, they, you know, they have their job and they are influencing uh, the way that, you know, you're using it or making music. But when you have five of those, that becomes exponential. And now you do yeah. have, a, a, you know, quite a cool yeah. and something else that I've, I've also really enjoyed is, you know, doing this for five years, I've talked to, you know, most of the makers. I mean, there's a lot more now, but, and I've become good friends with a lot of people who design modules. And what I've really liked is seeing like, holy shit, I see your personality coming out in your modules. Like I've messed with your <laughs> modules enough and hung out with you long enough to know that, exactly. you know, there's this guy, Eric Schlappy. And he has his company, Schlappy Engineering, and he's the nicest <laughs> fucking guy in the world. And he makes just yeah. like hardcore fucking, you know, when he plays live, he's pumping his fist, but he's like just the best. And um, his his modules are absolutely genius. And I feel like they are a personal, you know, <laughs> it's like facial recognition. It is that. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I mean, that's cool, you know. And why not? You know, why shouldn't it be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I think so what it's... we what the mistake that we sometimes make is that other instruments that aren't synth modules are somehow don't have a whole personality and a whole history um, and a set of dispositions, whether political or emotional or, mm-hmm. or historical, um, behind them. And so the the violin, you know, or the piano. Um, is like, (laughs) we like to think of it as just a neutral blank template on which we can write or perform any kind of music. But no, they are historical artifacts that come from a very specific time and place and a specific ideology. And they're inseparable from, from, you know, colonial warlike European cultures. Those are the ones that created the piano and created the violin. Um, and, well, the piano uh, too is literally telling you how to play it, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's just a map. It's a map uh-huh. of like, here's how you should learn music. Right. It goes and from left to right, up to, mm-hmm. you know, from down to up, low to high. Um, and, uh, yeah, at the octave it repeats, um, mm-hmm. and that's just sorry. That's nature. Yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah, better yeah. learn it now while you're a child. Um, and it's like the instrument is really hard to play anything that you'd want to listen to on um, until unless you practiced it for like ten years. <laughs> right, children are not appropriate music makers. They're not. We don't listen to concerts of of children. They, you have to practice it this long. How about the fact that equal temperament? You know, the octave is divided uh-huh. into twelve. Yes, every octave is the same. Yes, that's nature. Um, who, whatever person decided that the octave is divided into twelve, that person was right. That yeah, person yeah, was a genius. Yeah. 
Um, it's it's Darwin. It's evolution. It's just well, that's what we came up with, and we've got we've got the fact that the whole global population now uses that twelve note equal tempered scale to prove that it was natural all along. No, right, it doesn't right, prove right. Americanization. It doesn't prove. Um, you know, corporatization. It doesn't prove the uh, no. takeover or the colonialism of It just shows how far the reach. It shows how far the reach of that is. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and that's something I, you keep erasing. Imagine all the things that you erase by by substituting. No, there's only one limited language. Is the one that everyone is the lingua franca of the entire human mm-hmm. population now, and everyone must speak it. Think of all the. You know, John's uh, John Dietrich, the guitar player in Deerhoof, mm-hmm. one of he and Ed, uh, John's wife um, is a linguist who studies um, dying languages. And it's like, oh, no. you know, <laughs> it's like it's like five grandmothers, you know. Oh my um, God. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, five Native American uh, grandmothers still speak this this language will, anymore. Yeah. And it's like it's about to that whatever whatever things you know that language as rich as english you could do all the things that we're doing here all, all the worlds that are built think of all the books you know that mm-hmm. were written all the movies all the songs well, that were just sung, the, all the conversations the interpretation that were ever had in that. of of what of, of of lived experience you know like yeah exactly it's a, like, that's the human tool to figure that out and it's like Here's an entire tradition of one that's just about to be wiped just, off the yeah. Off I the worked planet. with a small and, band. They're actually not even uh, they didn't they weren't a tribe. They're band when I um, I worked over near the gorge actually um, mm. for a, a public utility district of all places. But I was in their oh. like cult, cultural resource department. So I like interesting. I worked a lot with um, with this. Uh, we'll we'll just call them a tribe. I just don't want to put them on blast yeah. here, but, um, but yeah, there right. was you know very small tribe. I, I became, uh, really close with a lot of them and you oh. know, got to go. And, uh, but yeah, I think there was 20 or maybe 20 people who still spoke the language and they're trying to teach the children the language, but these kids now are your everyday, you know, elementary middle school kids that are going to Western school and they're listening to, you know, pop and hip hop and whatever's on the radio and they're playing sports and they're, you know, playing video games and stuff. And, you know, like, it's not their fault. They're kids. It's not their fault. They're not interested in this language that only, you know, so yeah, it's exactly. And a language that might be harder to speak. Oh yeah. Harder to understand. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that this often comes into play with children. I mean, going back to the food thing, it's so easy to think, you know, breakfast cereal, sugary breakfast cereal, Mm -hmm. candy, you know, the kind of stuff that's marketed to children. Children biologically, because of evolution, are hardwired to seek sweetness, Mm -hmm. to seek sweet things. So what does the what does a corporate CEO do? Oh, well, I got an idea. I'll make something yeah. that's even sweeter than what they can find in the wild. And they'll they'll gobble it up, right? And they'll they'll cry and cry until their parents buy it for them. And mm-hmm. you know, at the uh, out the other end will come uh, massive profits for me. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, the exploitation of of things that may have served an evolutionary survival purpose at one point in human history, 
but still exist kind of like an appendix um, uh, that, that don't... Um, a vestigial <laughs> characteristic. Yeah, vestigial characteristic that 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 can be over uh, emphasized and exaggerated. Well, it can be, and, yeah, it can, yeah, exactly, and it and can exploited. be hijacked, and exploited, hijacked. which is Thank the you. real, exactly, exactly, it's the real dark, sinister thing about <laughs> a lot of you know, like, yeah, and you know, this is this often comes up because, like I was just mentioning, seeing people's personality come out in their modules, you know, like these are. Right artisan artists i think a lot you know a lot of modules are works of art literally yes um right but the thing is and even you know i'm i'm doing this podcast and i'm trying to do my hustle because i don't want to be an electrician i don't want to be a construction <laughs> right. worker i fucking hate it journeyman so like, no more uh, yeah no no more i was <laughs> but no no more and um you know but a lot of me and my friends you know who are makers and it, it is the cap the capitalistic side of it is is the hardest to navigate for us because we're not naturals at it. It feels weird and gross, but like you, have no one to, is. Yeah, you have to. You have try to, to do it. Do it. You know, and well, that's just it. That's why it's like okay, you don't blame those little kids for not wanting to go through the pain of learning their parents' native language. Mm-hmm. But in a way, because they're so tempted, or their their parents' generation's native music, mm-hmm. but. In a way, since they're tempted away by things that are sweeter, you know, like English is sweeter because it's spoken everywhere and it's on TV and it's on the radio and it's in every song that you hear. And and capitalist music uh, or, you know, American music industry music is sweeter because it's been tweaked deliberately to be sweeter. And mm-hmm. that's what... And you you can't you can't blame the kids, but you kind of can't blame the musician either, because like yep. you, like me, I would like to pay my rent. I would like to eat, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the only way to do it is to compete in a marketplace filled with other sweet things. And if you don't make it sweet enough, then who's going to want to deal with it? And right. and so you're forced to compete in a marketplace. People always talk about it's like, well, the best thing wins or the most popular. The most popular is candy. Yeah. Because yeah. because that's the sweetest, you know. The most popular has been lobbied <laughs> for and had a campaign, you know. That's yeah, like, thank you. Exactly. Been, yeah. And, like <clears throat> And it's yeah. not about merit. Um, I'm not even sure that something like merit exists when you're talking about music, but it's painted as merit. Oh, that means that Taylor Swift is the best music because it got the most plays on Spotify. Mm-hmm. But even Taylor Swift, I think, would be hard hard pressed to really say that out loud. Oh, it's because my music is the best music. Maybe at an award ceremony, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it's like, no, it's just the music that was pushed the hardest by a marketing machine. And, and it's it's, it's not just, and the music itself, exactly, is designed to be sweet in mm-hmm. such a way that it's easy to, the, it, it tweaks, it hijacks, the vestigial um, trait inside a human that you want to hear recognizable patterns, and just like yep. the birds do. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, it, 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 it finds that, that um, evolutionary trait and pokes at it and tickles it. Mm-hmm. And really what it does is satisfies it. 
and, now, and the, yeah, yeah, does it pacify though? Like, is it is it, it a way of, it. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Like so, <laughs> and then this is where I get maybe a little conspiratorial, but I think I don't think <laughs> this was maybe like a grand plan by anybody, but I think it's just something that happens that uh, is a very convenient other outcome of capitalist mm-hmm. endeavors of just yeah, okay, give it, just keep <laughs> them unchallenged and comfortable and with their sweets and they won't you know because if you're listening the to the opiate of the masses thing. yeah 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 exactly right. except except we've already identified another evolutionary characteristic that isn't going away anytime soon which we, we've already discussed in there and this is the contradicting one this uh-huh. is the one with that humans in addition in addition to seeking pacification opiation comfort familiarity ease are also driven to seek novel and and not just because they're cool and because they are curious the curiosity is a survival thing where they will have a survival advantage if they have the ability to learn new things and mm-hmm. to go through the pain of learning something new that is actually a survival technique <laughs> to chat self-challenge um, having to deal with hard things having to fight having to battle having to push yourself to to you know if it's exercise or, or if it's learning a new language or if it's learning an instrument or <laughs> or if it's just or whatever yeah. or just learning a learning a learning a history of the United States that isn't quite the one you were taught in school mm-hmm. um, and learning hard facts, you know, that, that maybe are not comforting to hear and that mm-hmm. maybe implicate you, you know, in a long history of, of oppression. Um, that, that instinct is also there in a human being. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, yes, yes, the, the capitalists are constantly attempting to hijack the, the one that's seeking sweetness, but, but <laughs> where they continually fail and where they continually fall short is that they, is that the human is not actually satisfied with that. Um, and that they always seek something more challenging, right. they seek something more and they are curious. We are curious and, and the, the, the capitalist project keeps failing in that sense as so hard you're as saying there's it. hope you're giving I, me I, hope yeah. right now yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, okay but but it's like um um <laughs> i mean i think that th- there's hope i mean hope could mean a lot of things i, I think that it's you don't even have to hope is, is something about the future i'm right. saying even right now you can just look at the present and already say, well, there's a lot of us having conversation where, you know, where it's like, maybe we don't always, it's, it's not like someday in a, in a bright future, people are going to finally choose right. music right. that isn't just sweet music. Mm-hmm. Even in 2023, most of us choose music that has sweetness and sourness and bitterness, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And has vitamins and stuff like that in it. Um, you just described and- Gearhoof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sweet and sour, you know. Sweet and sour exactly. and has vitamins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's salty and it's bitter. <laughs> and uh, um, and it's like, um, yeah. Uh, 
Sorry, it's, I totally derailed you. You don't my have to. <laughs> no, no. I, I think you're absolutely right. And I don't think it's just your hoof. I think that, that, um, well, you I'm know. drawn to that create. I think that's one thing that I'm so drawn to Deerhoof about is mm. this. The I, I hate I hate the how much this word's used, but you know the the I won't even use it. But the balancing and the and the con, the contrasting right. between yeah, yeah. Um, the tension tension and relief of that tension, you know, yeah, and that's yeah, exactly. I that's what I get a lot out of like. <laughs> Cause some of Deerhoof songs are like the sweetest, catchiest, like put on at a party and everybody's going to love it. And then some of them right. you're going to put on and you know, you guys are all going nuts and people are like, what the fuck is this? You know? And that's my, yeah. that's my favorite kind of realm well, to very, listen to. And thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I, I figured um, I had to talk about Deerhoof a little bit, but this has been such an amazing <laughs> conversation that, you know, <laughs> Before we conclude it, there's one thing I have to ask, because I always want to ask this to, to an evolutionary scientist, and I don't meet them every day. So you're on the you're in the hot seat All right. now. I'm, I'm, out because, of, I'm out of the game for a long time, but I'll do my best. Okay, but that's no excuse. You still have to answer my question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think, to tell me if I'm, if I'm barking up the wrong tree here, every time I see a pop pop scientific kind of like news story in a newspaper or a magazine or a website or something that has to do with evolution and why we do this and why we do that and why it's better. Always they equate something that helped humans or any other species survive with some kind of value judgment that it's actually better. And I always, I'm like, well, hang on a second. I just feel like I've been swallowing a lifetime of propaganda that somehow, and in fact, I mean, that it, it does go back to Hitler. It is the social Darwinism idea. It's the yeah. idea that war makes us great. It's the idea that if you show yourself to be more fit for survival, that that is actually, you are more valuable. And Absol I just, absolutely. I'm kind of like, well, I'm sitting here as a 54 year old person with no children and no plans mm -hmm. to have children. And I'm like, well, does that make me a worse person because I didn't propagate my species correctly or something? Right, right, and lots right. of people don't have children and lots of people yeah, can't have children. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like, uh, and, and there's something to even an argument even to be made for is, you know, how many more generations of human children yeah. are really going to enjoy a particularly pleasant um, or full um, life on an uninhabitable planet or an totally. increasingly yeah. uninhabitable planet? Um, and does this instinct to propagate, is that, why do we assume that that is like of greater value, that that's better? Absolutely. I, this is something that, you know, it, it gets into what a lot of people would say is dark territory. But, you know, that that line of thinking <laughs> yeah. always kind of makes me like wonder, like, well, like, how long do you like, like, if you were to told that humans wouldn't be around anymore in 200 years, would you be sad? Right. And why would you be sad? You know, like, right. and do you, like <laughs> every like the sun's going to, you know, it's going to supernova someday. You know, so even right. if we somehow kept Earth inhabitable, like there's an expiration date, 
no matter right, what. Exactly. And then, Definitely. so it's just like, how long, like, so what's the point? Like these, like mm-hmm. these sci-fi movies where they've got this one intrepid, <laughs> you know, uh, astronaut going out on this big thing full of like all these like fertilized embryos to start a new colony. It's like, <laughs> yeah, what the, exactly. who the fuck's idea is that? Like, cause I don't feel compelled to do that, but I don't, yeah. Right. But to answer yeah. your question, there's, there's, there's kind of a, I'm going to take like a three pronged approach, just like every annoying scientist does. No, no, no. This, I want it, all three prongs. You give it, it goes to, to my point is, is <clears throat> like scientific speak for one, like you, there's a lot of uh, jargon, you know, so that's, it's kind of hard to navigate a lot of times new discoveries, um, you know, in order to read that paper and understand it, like right. that's predicated on you having a pretty good foundational knowledge in that literature already. So okay. taking that and trying to turn it into not only just like a 200 word article for a scientific American, but it also has to sell the, you know, the Patagonia, you know, oh, clothes yeah. that they put in the, for the, you know, for the scientists. So there, there in like lies a huge problem that the translation from actual academic to, because right. oftentimes with science, it's like, so we we made this discovery and we think this about it, but that raised all these other new questions. So we still have to go. And people don't want that. People want answers. So so, they, they just want, here's the new answer. Yes. So you are always getting a bunch of bullshit, especially about human evolution. And I think everything <laughs> that we were talking about today with just the hijacking of so many hmm. different parameters of just life and reality by capitalism. Right. Um, yeah, but the, so that filter, why it's filtered through that is, you know, kind of the same reason why everything is, but specifically with anthropology, we call it the battle mm-hmm. days of anthropology and psychology, because right. there were some psychological experiments that were pretty exactly. make your um, stomach turn. Yeah. Yeah. And what you notice when you, when you look at this whole, you know, post Darwin through social Darwinism, which had nothing to do with Darwin. Um, right. <laughs> but um, the, the goal of science is not to prove anything. It's to continually try to disprove something. And if enough people take it from enough angles and can't disprove it, then we can at right. least have some faith in that, that. But there's still, you know, science is the a philosophy. The goal of science, right. Totally. Right. right on. So proving something is, is you can't do that. Um, so I think, uh, that also is a hard pill to swallow for people who aren't trained in the scientific method and, um, right. and where was I going with this? So like, yeah, so, oh yeah, what <laughs> I'm saying is wrong. like this, this whole part of this whole battle days of evolution, um, or battle days of anthropology, they were continuing to disprove themselves up like first try so they were doing good right. science we found out right. that cranial vault doesn't mean anything we found out that cranial right. shape doesn't mean anything found out that phrenology doesn't fucking mean anything but exactly. they just kept coming up with new ways because they were trying to fit a square peg into a round hole they wanted right. their assumption exactly. that white race was but then if you go yeah. back to that who called like who called who white or who considered right. who white? That was that's never been consistent either. So there's I mean, no, it's literally there's no not. such thing. Um, you yeah. know, I feel like uh, human, like race in humans is almost like is for me it's like almost like gender in the sense that right. it's a social construct. 
and there's there's a it's we call it clinal variation and the most easy way to describe that is i don't know okay let's clinal. so basically it's it's almost like spectral think of like a, a yeah, color yeah. spectrum where yeah, you, sure. you can't tell where this color turns into this color so walk from right. south africa to norway and tell me <laughs> <Yeah>. where <laughs> right. you know uh latitudinally or right. that people's skin color okay that it changed here so here right. there it doesn't do it you know right. so I, see. I think that that is you know going through that whole filter so and then the third thing i want to say about all this is when we're talking about why why do humans do do this like why do we do this or do this there's a lot of you can do a lot of fun hypothesizing and you know, game right. theorying things out, but there is yeah. no way to test if we are bipedal because we had to get up and look over the, the bush because we want, <laughs> had to see a jaguar. You can't, exactly. you can't test that. So you can't prove it. Right. So you right. can have a lot of fun ideas, but so it's kind of, when you have all of those things swirling around, um, just every scientific documentary you watch on TV and everything right. you read in a, like a magazine, not a yeah. journal. Right always take with the grain of salt that they are trying to make something exciting and they're also trying to sell you patagonia stuff. patagonia yeah you got it oh man that is so good thank you thank you that <laughs> thank really you. made I, my day i never yeah, get I to that. uh i never get to exercise <laughs> these muscles and i'm glad that i have yeah, completely atrophied <laughs> three-pronged ramp i love it <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. well, Greg, I've really appreciated right. this. It's been so nice to meet you. I don't want to take up yeah, really uh, any more fun. of your day, yeah. but yeah, this has been awesome. Um, and if, you know, is there anything, I always like to have people scream something from the modular mountaintops if they'd like, and it can be whatever you want. <laughs> the modular mountaintop? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah uh, come see Deer Huff on tour. Oh, yeah. Highly <laughs> got recommend it. a bunch it. of shows coming up. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I saw you guys play at Chop Suey, your first show ever after the pandemic yeah and that was so awesome Thank and then i just saw you guys that. yeah i just saw you at numos too the last time you're in seattle so <laughs> oh thanks numos yeah. was really an amazing show for us uh this, this yeah. last time uh one thing that we really appreciated was that every single person in there was wearing a mask yeah yeah, uh, you know, we had made a mass request. Numos opened the doors while we play. We're up there blasting as loud as we can. I'm banging on the drums as hard as I can. They have the doors wide open to what is it, Fourth Street or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, um, and uh, and uh, so there's ventilation. Um, everybody's wearing a mask, and we just, you know, that was probably the safest we've felt on oh, stage. Good. At any show, uh, you yeah. know, in the past two years, uh, because uh, it is, uh, it can get a little nerve wracking sometimes. Well, especially we, when we really you're... do not want to get COVID uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, but just for incredibly obvious reason that mm -hmm. if we do, the rest of the tour is canceled. And yeah, and that's your lose amazing amounts of money. Yeah, so yeah, uh... yeah. No, that makes total sense. And also, like, you are your just the nature of your job puts you in physical proximity with lots of people lots of Hundreds, different people yeah. in different places night after yep. night after night day, so it makes total day, sense. It. <laughs> yeah um yeah. right on well i'll throw all the appropriate links in the show description and uh i want to try to my goal to my goal of the year is to try to get um every member of deer hoof and every member of tortoise on the show so i'm 25 percent of the way through deer hoof and i'm three <laughs> okay, fifths yeah. 
three fifths through tortoise. So you have to write to uh, something other than the Instagram, which is how you got me, just because Uh I've been running the Instagram lately, so that I'm the one who ended up seeing the message. I'll forward it along if if you want to try and like you know nab the rest of the gang. I would love that, actually. Yeah, because Satomi's birthday is uh, same as mine. And no way, you released February 9th, yeah. And I think you did. That's when you released. Actually, you can, and yeah, <laughs> I actually and I we had just bought our new house, so I was floating, and oh, I was it was incredible. my birthday, and I had the day to myself, so I went out and did some field recording. But on my walk down this beautiful walk on the Puget Sound, I was just rocking out to actually you can, and it was that it was is a great so day. Cool, thank you. That's beautiful. <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thank you so much to Greg for an amazing conversation. Uh, Thank you for watching or listening. If you would like to catch Deerhoof on tour, please visit their website, uh, link in the show description. Also, thank you to Mountain Singers for the track submission. If you would like to be a featured artist on PodMod, then send me a WAV file or a Bandcamp download code, and uh, yeah, we'll get you on. Thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. Don't forget about the cool posters and t-shirts that I have available. Um, If you would like to support the show on Patreon, head over to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. But if you don't want to sign up for a recurring monthly thing, I totally get it. There are other ways to support the show. You can have me make a music video for you for one of your tracks. Maybe I could make you a video uh, for you to use for live visuals during a set that you play in the future. So yeah, uh, if if that sounds interesting, hit me up. Um, Also, if you're interested in maybe doing a one-on-one synth lesson, let me know. And thank you to all the show sponsors, Patchworks, After Later Audio, 4MS, Novation, Bastel, Go check them out. Links in the show description. This week's secret word is waste management. Because I just I just read that over there on our Tacoma Solid Waste Management bin. Until next week.